The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain where they could be alone. There, in their presence, he was transfigured. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them. They were talking with him. Then Peter spoke to Jesus. Lord, he said, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when suddenly a bright cloud covered them with shadow, and from the cloud there came a voice which said, This is my son, the beloved. He enjoys my favor. Listen to him. When they heard this, the disciples fell on their faces, overcome with fear. But Jesus came up to them and touched them. Stand up, he said. Do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one but only Jesus. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus gave them this order. Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we had two of our congregation in that reading, Peter and James. It should have been Mick instead of John, right? Or some, someone else. See, I'm doing okay. Um, look, funny kind of thing, good coincidence in a way. Because this is a small congregation, I thought to myself, I want to just chat with you, if that's okay. We're going to need to do that anyway, because I just realized I did not prepare for these readings. <laughs> I, was looking at the 18th, I was looking at the 18th Sunday, the whole week, and I'm like, oh, these are such interesting readings. This is not what we've just heard from the liturgy. So let's forget that. When three years pass, I'll return to my notes, and maybe it'll be relevant, or maybe I'll chuck it in the bin. But, but here we are, okay, and we've just heard God speak to us. So what exactly is God saying? We might start with this. What does the transfiguration mean to us? I ask that in the context of us who are seasoned in our faith. Like, this is not your first Mass, you know what I mean? You've been here before. You know the way the mysteries sort of wash over us. So you've been undergoing a process for a long time now. And you've encountered the Feast of the Transfiguration, not once, not twice. I don't know how many years you've come to this particular moment in the liturgy. So if all things have gone well, you're pretty deep into this thing, whatever it is. What is it? What does this feast mean for you? What, what uh, draws your mind or your heart? This is where my notes end, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, well, firstly, how do you feel about the image you've just seen in, in the Gospel? You know, Peter, James and John, the most intimate of his already intimate friends. He's got these 12 uh, croonies, and out of them there's an even more select crew. They were with him at all the very pivotal moments. doesn't matter that two of them ran away when he was on the cross. Um, there they were, sharing in something very intimate. Revelation, which is when God obviously reveals himself, is a privileged thing. God doesn't just blast the whole universe with his message. He sort of invites. And so he's invited us into a very privileged moment here. How does it make us feel to have seen that episode? Do you feel anything? Such a sense of mystery, you know, the, the disciples, uh, you know, they wouldn't understood who, who 
really Jesus was even at this point even at all. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a uh, almost a coming a coming of age or a, or a you know, revelation mm. for them. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And even though he's revealing something, he's saying, by the way, this isn't for everyone. Don't tell anyone about this until the sun has risen. So it's like I'm showing you something, but it's still privileged. It's not to be, it's not to be torn open for, the, for everyone yet. It's curious, isn't it? Um, and you'll notice, like up until now, you're right, Jesus has been keeping a lid on who he is. Um, this is one of the last pivotal moments before he goes to Jerusalem. So he's showing, the, the commentators say, he's showing his closest disciples his divinity so that their trust in him goes beyond the ordinary trust of, oh, he's a very wise rabbi. No, he's more than that. He's God with us. And therefore, when they see the scandal of the cross, hopefully it doesn't absolutely, you know, they don't lose all hope everywhere. They kind of do anyway because the cross, man, the cross would have been scandalous, you know. The cross was meant to be the most horrific thing you could imagine. Um, if you, this is a Roman punishment, which they got from previous nations. I think it was developed in um, um, somewhere starting with PH. The name's escaping me now. Uh, anyway, it's, it's from there. And the Romans took it and they really mastered this brutal art. Romans would not crucify fellow Romans because it's far too indignified. If you're a Roman citizen and you've done wrong, we'll just behead you. We'll get it over quick. But if you're a Jew, a dirty, rotten someone from somewhere else, or if you're a Greek, or if you're, you're someone from somewhere not with our national pride, we'll make an example of you. We'll torture you and stretch you to the limit of human capacity, and then we'll string you up, and you'll writhe around in pain for the next week or so, and everyone will see it. You become like a flag, you know, a flag of dominance. Crazy, brutal kind of world they lived in, hey? Um, and Jesus submitted to this. And so it would have been so weird for him to say, if you want to be my disciple, you be a flag like me. They must have thought, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? We'll put that alongside this. Um, we're, we're a flag to the world, okay? We're also a light on a hill. We're also a transfigured people. The church has many titles for itself, and one of them is Lumen Gentium which means a light to the nations, a light on a hill. can't be hidden. The whole world has to see it. A world that um, struggles with its, with its darkness, with its dark clouds. There's this beautiful, um, you know, this is obviously a mystical encounter. And, and it's, it's always got these kind of things that don't fit together right alongside each other. It says they're there, and Jesus appear, G, uh, Moses and Elijah appear to Jesus. Again, the commentators tell us that's representative of everything the Jews knew, all of their revelation, reaching its climax. It's like all the prophets, which they knew, all the law, which they knew. It's pointing to someone, the Son of Man, who has been revealed for them. So they see that, and then as Peter's talking, and he's talking sort of nonsense as usual, <laughs> um, it says, a cloud of light descended on them and covered them in shadow. So it was like simultaneously bright and dark, which means it's simultaneously God revealing himself, and that's very confusing. It's not like everything suddenly becomes clear. Everything's even more astonishing. Um, God, is, God is really leading them deep into the mysteries. Something that's been striking me a lot recently 
is that so much of what we do is, I guess you could say, invisible. You know, think of think of your value. Think of your worth as a person. Where does it come from? I'm going to say a few things that are really obvious, and I don't need to say it, but I'll say it just to make the point. You know, we could robe ourselves in gold, but that doesn't enhance our our value, does it? Obviously, our value is deeper than that. Um, God has come and touched our flesh, so now the human body itself has infinite value. Um, God actually loves our bodies. Otherwise, otherwise he wouldn't have been able to enter into this world and take one for himself. And by the way, he takes all of our bodies to himself in the incarnation. Sometimes we think that the incarnation is God coming down and becoming like, you know, a 80-pound little localized piece of flesh. But really, that's not it. The incarnation goes down and goes up again, drawing all flesh to itself. It's in our readings. I will draw all things to myself when I'm lifted up. Um, that's the mystery of Christmas, that all of our flesh is now with Christ, even though we continue our journeys. No, your value comes from your being created in the image and likeness of God, which is an invisible thing. You know, like science will never... <laughs> science has no access to that. I was talking to the kids in the high school, and I was like, you know, science tells you that you're just a kind of bag of carbon. You're very cheap, <laughs> materially. You're not worth really anything. God has declared what your value is. And the fact that God would rather destroy himself than us tells you, well, if God's infinitely valuable and he puts us higher than him, like, doesn't that just make your mind boggle? You're infinitely precious. It's, it's impossible to understand, but you are. You're infinitely precious. As we make our journey, which we do, I think Jesus will constantly draw us up these privileged mountains and then back down again. Because the, the mountaintop is, is a kind of, I don't know, a consolation in the, in the literal spiritual sense of the word. You're familiar with Ignatius of Loyola's um, light and dark spirit, the Ignatian spirituality? It's, it's very beautiful. Um, look it up if you get a chance. But um, Ignatius was one of our saints who founded the Jesuits, obviously. And um, his story was that he was um, a man of worldly priorities. He was a soldier, military man, very successful, loved to go and do battle, loved to go and capture the damsel and you know, live out the romantic fantasy that he had, that the culture gave him. Our culture gives us romantic fantasies too, so he's, we can't really turn our nose up at him. But he fell for it, hook, line and sinker. Anyway, in one such battle, his leg gets smashed with a cannon and he has to lie in a bed while his leg is healing. And um, you know, he loves all of the warfare type stories, but none of that's available in this little religious hospital he's in. They've got two books, The Life of Christ and The Lives of the Saints. And he's like, someone put me out of my misery, please. But he's so bored that he reads this stuff. Long story short, what he finds is that when he daydreamed about warfare and capturing princesses and all this stuff, he felt a whole lot of excitement, like it was really, uh, it was really exciting and, and he enjoyed that. But then the feeling would leave him empty and hollow and he'd, he'd ha it would be very distasteful, sort of ugly taste left in his mouth. But by contrast, when he read the books of Jesus and the saints, in the moment he was kind of bored because he, really, he didn't really care about that stuff. But it left him with this deep, enduring joy and peace and 
elation. And he was monitoring this in his heart. And he said, this is pretty interesting. There's something to this. Out of that experience, he developed what we have, what we call the spiritual exercises. Um, people typically do a 30-day retreat to do these exercises. And it's a, it's a powerful, beautiful thing if, if anyone ever feels called to that and it's available. I'd only recommend it too much. Anyway, one of the rules in the spiritual life is that when God gives a consolation, when God gives a kind of deeply enlivening, let's say, gush of grace on your soul, and, it, and it's, like a, it's like a breath of perfumed air, you know? Um, that's good because God's telling you something and God's giving you some refreshment. But the one thing you really shouldn't do is try and recreate that moment, you know, like, like you figure out the recipe of like, oh, okay, if I do this, God will give me... God will give me a consolation. That's the wrong thing to do because um, the consolation isn't the point. God is the point. The consolation is like another kind of flag. It points to the one who's calling, who's drawing, who's illuminating, who's transfiguring us. So if we can maybe assent to God doing that in our lives, calling us each by name, calling us up to the mountaintop, saying, come with me. See what happens to me, the high and the low, the bright and the dark, and share in it. When we come to the Mass, um, the bread is symbolic, obviously, of Jesus, who's the bread of life. But it's also symbolic of us, and we know that, don't we? Because where do these gifts come from? Like, you brought them. They're the, they're the fruit of the earth and the work of your human hands. The Mass is your transfiguration. It's you being offered on the mountain of the altar so that you see, as, as unbelievable as it is, your own figure changing in union with Christ. This is what takes place in our faith. It's wonderful for us to be here.